viewed from a different angle, you can have an authority niche website. So for me, a niche website means that it's a topical niche of a broader category. So you could have health broad category, then you could niche down to psychology, then depression, and then postpartum depression. So postpartum depression is like the ultra niche topic that you can talk about. So in a way, it's your positioning as the authority in this ultra small topic. And if you're offering a service or consulting, you can charge more, people trust you more, you are the go-to source for that topic. And on the website side, you cover that topic so extensively that people don't really need to go back to Google and search for something else. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I'm your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Nemanja Mirkovic. Nemanja is one of the co-founders of Sleep Advisor, a company that started as a side project, but ultimately grew to become one of the largest websites in the sleep category, driving over 12 million visitors per year. Nemanja built and scaled the organic search strategy Sleep Advisor and also led monetization and partnerships before the company was ultimately acquired. In our episode today, I'm excited to learn more about his approach to scaling SEO channels, his perspective on building websites in very competitive verticals, building authority, and more. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. At Positional, we're building tools for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a great selection of tools for everything from content optimization to keyword research and technical SEO. And you can visit our website at positional.com. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's rare that we get to chat with someone who's grown an organic search strategy like you have. So we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Nate. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here and really honored to be invited uh, on your podcast. Yeah, uh, just a short introduction. I'm Nemanja. I started and grew Sleep Advisor, a media brand from zero to 12 million uh, users per year. I'm glad to be here and uh, sharing that story. Yeah, that's really incredible. And there's a lot for us to unpack on this episode. But just to kick things off, like how did you get into content marketing and SEO? Like what made you choose this channel as like your career path and focus for sleep advisor, but then beyond that? Yeah, so it's a really interesting, I started alone just building small affiliate sites, AdSense sites, and uh, I had a network of these sites. So I built like 50 plus of these sites and some would even call them PBN, but in reality, they looked way better than 80% of uh, blogs and niche sites and they still do. I had a team that was building these sites out for me and when they were idle, I'd offer the service in SEO groups on Facebook. And in time, that became an agency. And that's how I got connected with the SEO community and got invited to the first Chiang Mai SEO mastermind before it became a conference. And that's actually where I met Rob and co-founded Sleep Advisor with him from there. That's amazing. And what made you pick sleep as a category that you wanted to build a website in? Yeah, so we brainstormed several uh, niches where we could uh, build, but uh, Rob actually had a website already, a really small niche website, uh, reviewing mattresses. It was already successful and we knew we can do it better than that. At first, it looked like a conflict of interest, like, hey, like we don't want to do something that will compete with your website. But in the end, you know, he saw the, the potential of our partnership and... Uh, we just picked that and as kind of like long-term uh, niche, something that will be here in 10 years, 20 years, you know, 
and everybody needs it. So we just decided to go for that. Yeah, sleep certainly is a big category and also a competitive one. And I'm sure when you were starting Sleep Advisor, it was already pretty competitive. I think it's likely gotten more competitive over time. When you were first starting Sleep Advisor, did the competition scare you at all? Knowing that like there were already some fairly large and established sites in the sleep space, or did you see that as an opportunity? Yeah, so when we started out, there weren't really that many uh, competitors. There was uh, Sleepopolis and a couple other uh, niche sites, but there were no generalist news websites like Forbes or you know New York Times, whatever. Like they did not review mattresses at that moment. So it was just competing against other affiliates, not even big media companies like Fred Ventures. They didn't have any presence in that space. We knew we can build something better than Sleepopolis. And that was our kind of benchmark. We wanted to be better than that. And from there, it was, call it an infinite game, you know, like we just wanted to make the best website for that and kind of went from one day to another, improving all aspects of that website. Yeah. And I know you were at Sleep Advisor for a little over five years, which is a long time, but also a very short amount of time to grow a website to the extent you grew Sleep Advisor, getting to 12 million or so people per, per year coming to the site. So you moved very quickly. In the beginning, like in that first, like, six months or a year, what was the plan? Like coming into building this website, you know, in that first year, what did you do? And then kind of into years two and three, how did you scale the site to the many millions of visitors per year that you ultimately grew it to? Yeah. So basically the plan uh, at the beginning was to just create as much content as we can. We started, you know, testing these agencies out, testing, you know, various writing services, but it didn't work out. Like the output was just too inconsistent. So we moved everything in-house. Rob and I edited heavily the first batch of articles. We wanted the launch to be perfect. Then we started adding in-house writers and, uh, you know, educating them how to write SEO content, how to write reviews, how to write best lists. After launch, the first year was creating that startup-like buzz. So we went on sleep related uh, Facebook pages. We went on Reddit and Quora, just answered everything under the sun over there. And we actually got a lot of traffic, so big spikes of traffic from there in time that got us out of sandbox, which you probably know what the well, uh, sandbox is like a period where uh, you get basically no results. After getting out of that sandbox, actually like one year mark, that's when things started really to pick up, like really fast. And actually, I think it's a combination of, of factors here. We had a tailwind of the sleep industry growing massively in the, those few years, and uh, we invested probably five to 10 X more than an average niche site builder would in content. So that content for that time, you would only see it in big media companies like Nerd Wallet, let's say. I love that. Yeah, like we went above and beyond uh, regular content. So the amount of research that went into that, again, like was really in depth and we wanted to have users trust on our side as we grow. And lastly, I would say like it's SEO knowledge. If I had to put a number of like one to a hundred uh, percent, I would say SEO knowledge played maybe 20% in the whole growth. And the other was actually creating that great content. And later on, we even replaced all stock images, which I despise with all my being. So we replaced all that with custom images that we paid a lot of money for those custom images. So it's like every single piece was, you know, perfected to a point where like we didn't really have 
too much to do on the site. And that's when we started experimenting with info products and having these awful failures. Yeah. So it sounds like in the first year, you spent a ton of time creating content. And then I know that you've created a very large amount of content from years two to five. Over that like five-year period, how many pieces of content did you guys create at Sleep Advisor? I would say it's about a thousand. But a lot of our workflow was going back and improving old articles. So periodically we would go back and rewrite whole articles, but sections and add more information or if the information changes. So like as soon as something changes, let's say the pricing of a product changes, we would get alerts of that and the team would change that ASAP so that the users would always have the most accurate information. Yeah, we had a very similar experience at my first company. We were marketing consumer financial products and we were constantly going back to previously published content and reviews to make sure that they were up to date as like the interest rates or the terms of these different products changed. And I also agree with you, like once you build like the foundation of your website, it often makes sense to prioritize like going back and improving what's already there versus focusing on creating like brand new pieces of content for the site. If you had to estimate like what percent of your team's time was spent going back to those older posts and improving them or keeping them up to date for versus the time you spent creating new content. Yeah, I would say I would say 50-50. Like a lot of time went into improving old content. Yeah, and content is obviously like the most important first step. Whenever I'm talking to our customers, like I tell them that if they pick the right keywords, the right topics and create fantastic content, they're, you know, 80% of the way there. I think if you do those two things right, like you'll be successful. But then outside of creating content, did you guys focus a lot on like building backlinks or building authority to the website? Yeah, absolutely. So building backlinks was uh, essential and I think played a huge part in uh, in growth. So I think many SEOs these days claim that you can rank without backlinks. And I agree, you can, but it's slow and the time difference is revenue loss. So if it takes six more months, that's six more months of zero revenue or lower revenue than you could have had if you had uh, built backlinks. At the start, Rob was trying to build a system around that. It was semi-successful. He built maybe like 50 links over three to five months. And then he found Mike. So this is an interesting story. So Mike was a digital nomad he met in GMI and he came in and he worked an hourly wage, but he kept improving the system. So he needed to work less time actually. So he automated everything and he said, all right, so instead of 10 hours or 20 hours, I work in two hours. And we were like, all right, so it doesn't seem fair that like you improve the system and we pay you like two hours of your time, right? So we onboarded him as uh, as a partner from that from that point. Like from that time, in, in about a year, he scaled the holding building by about 10x. And that's the biggest growth, 2019 and 20. Yeah, our customers always ask me about building backlinks. And, you know, I think it depends like which category you're in. I think I always say to them, like backlinks get you in the running, often like uh, qualifying time. Uh, in a lot of different categories, like you have to build enough backlinks that like you have a baseline amount of authority to go and compete in a vertical. And then you can use like your fantastic content to actually really thrive and rank well in that vertical. And it sounds like you guys prioritized building backlinks from like the very start. Is that right? Yeah, we started building backlinks from basically third or fourth month. As soon as we got out of uh, Sandbox, we started building uh, links uh, heavily. And uh, in, in the first months, it was more kind of this social aspect. So we had like Medium and Quora and Reddit and all these like links. 
their kind of web 2.0, call it like that. From that point, like when we got out of Sandbox, we started focusing on guest, po guest posts and Mike scaled that very fast. And then we realized, okay, so we no longer have like we have diminishing returns on these guest posts. So what should we do? So we started the PR, the digital PR and quantum marketing. We started building these, you know, tools, uh, sleep calculators and uh, like statistics and whatnot. One of the inter interesting uh, posts is we ranked number one for can you sleep with a fan on, which is like random informational topic. But that got picked up by all the major news sites during summer of 2019, I believe. So we kind of doubled down on that and we replaced all the images, like I said, improved all the articles formatting so that it looks really good. And if a journalist visits the site, they would likely link to us instead of somebody else. I think where you started in guest posting is a place where a lot of website owners and, and startups typically start, but it is, you know, very manual and it also requires a lot of content and it's often a good place to start, but you, you'll tend to like tap yourself out fairly quickly. I found with guest posting, but like you said, creating like link bait or using like data-driven content or telling interesting stories with content that journalists want to link to is by far like a much more scalable approach to building backlinks at scale and also at like a lower cost or price point in terms of the time you're spending to go out and build these backlinks. In addition to guest posting and, you know, link bait and data-driven content, did you guys also do like a lot of like resource page link building, like trying to find like colleges or high schools or other resource pages in the sleep space that would want to link to your content? And then kind of building an outreach campaign to them? We tried all of that. Like we tried all all these tactics, but again, like 90%, I would say is those two tactics, just guest posts and uh, PR or content marketing. When you think about the backlinks that you built, a question that I always get from like our customers or, or startups um, is on like domain rating. Like they'll say to me like, Nate, like we only want backlinks from you know, sites with a domain rating above like 55. And like, I'll often like push back on them and say like, well, I actually care more about like link relevance in many cases more than I do about like the domain rating of a site that I'm getting a link from. When you were building links, how much did you think about like domain rating versus like the relevance of the links you were getting, even if they were from like lower authority sites? Yeah. So DR is a metric that you can manipulate easily and some people even prove that uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, you could look at traffic if you want. You could look at DR, but like it's more a first filter that you use during your research. So, all right, so it's a DR70 that has, you know, X amount of traffic, so I'll consider it. So you're not filtering it out uh, completely. And once uh, once you have like a short list then you go in and look at the relevance, uh, look at the quality of the site. Does it have social profiles? Does it have the authors? And like, is it a blog? Is it an e-com? Is it this or that? So the type of website. And uh, I don't focus on just one metric. And again, I was not that involved with the link building side because we had Mike. Yeah, I learned a lot about uh, quantum marketing and actually... I led the content marketing team with uh, our content director, Suzanne, uh, who just crushed the whole workload. Well, it sounds like you built an incredible team. How big did the team ultimately get? And was this entire team remote or did you have like an office or in-person presence? Tell me about that. Yeah, it was a 100% remote team and it grew to about 35 people, including contractors and all that. So we're scattered 
all around the globe, uh, you know, in Asia, Europe, America, and all that. So yeah, even in Argentina, uh, we had a graphics designer. So yeah, it, it grew uh, pretty big. And uh, again, there are some management issues that you get when you cross 15 to 20 people. So I would say we implemented EOS entrepreneurial operating system. And that was the biggest game changer when it comes to managing a bigger team. And we had to scale back at some point. And then when we implemented EOS, then we could kind of continue hiring and scaling back up again. I know that it was, you know, a great five-year run and the site became incredibly successful. And I think you did kind of everything textbook right. But from your view, like if you were to go back and do it over again, were there any like, you know, mistakes you made or things you spent time on that like looking back weren't you know, a good use of your time or resources? Yeah, I'd say the biggest mistake and kind of key learning at the same time is that we didn't have the knowledge and skills to manage multiple brands at the same time. And we tried acquiring our related media uh, site. It was like a small tool, niche tool, but it never got the attention it needed. So it never took off. And most likely because we tried to uh, grow it with the same team. And now I know it doesn't work uh, that way. You need the, you need a dedicated team for each brand, for each business. And if I could do it all over again, I'd start acquiring competition as soon as I got traction with one brand and some excess cash, just pour that in, in, in buying competition and just create a snowball effect and uh, grow that as a media company, not as a single brand. I love that. Yeah. And that's a mistake I've made myself in the past. You know, I want to stand up a new website, but then I commit to it when I buy the domain name and build out a little bit of content, but then actually like committing and putting a team around that brand or new site that you're building. It requires a lot more resources and focus. And I myself try to avoid getting uh, distracted when when we've got a property that's doing so well. But I, I think that's an interesting point you made about possibly in the future going out and buying other established brands or teams that have built nice properties like in your space. And speaking of like other companies and websites in the sleep category, uh, and the final question that I'm going to ask you about your time at Sleep Advisor, what the heck happened to Tuck? I wasn't in the sleep category, but I was following Tuck.com very closely from let's say 2016 to like 2019. And I know that like they were a competitor of yours for a while, but then they kind of fell off the face of the earth in terms of of traffic going to their website. Do you have any like thoughts or ideas around like maybe what they did wrong or or why they haven't recovered from like the the massive drop off in traffic to their site? Yes, yeah, so like it's an interesting uh, case study to be honest. And uh, I talked to a lot of SEOs uh, about that, and uh, it's most likely a link related penalty. They had a sleep dex or something like that domain that was 301 redirected to Tuck, and that resulted in massive growth. And uh, our whole team was, you know, united. They quote unquote hated Tuck. That was the outside enemy. But yeah, like, it was really interesting to see that. But deep down, I knew, I mean, like it's easy for me to say that in hindsight, but I kind of had a hunch that uh, they'll get a penalty for that 301. Yeah, they were uh, they were very good building backlinks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it did work pretty well for a while. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what like ultimately ends up happening with that site or domain. But yeah, more recently, since you've sold Sleep Advisor, like what have you been working on lately? Are you still building like new web properties and and focused on SEO? Yeah, so SEO is definitely a part of uh, everything I do still, but. I see it as one aspect of the acquisition strategy and I try to kind of have it as a good to have, but not the only thing to have uh, on a, in, in a business. So 
right now I'm building this sort of call it a holding company. It's not still very big. It's just, you know, a couple of brands. I'm trying to build this more diversified business that will be more robust and more less kind of prone to Google updates or social media algorithm updates. You know, maybe I would have a media brand. Maybe I'll have a service. Maybe I'll have lead gen business, a well-diversified uh, portfolio of businesses, if you can call that. Heck yeah. And I know recently I've seen you um, on, on LinkedIn and you've been sharing great content on LinkedIn, by the way. I think for all of our listeners who aren't yet a follower, you should go and follow. And we'll put a link to a uh, to your LinkedIn in the show notes as well. But one of the interesting things I've seen you talk about recently on LinkedIn is like building an authority website. And like what that means. And I'd be curious to get your opinion and perspective on like what it means to create an authority website in 2023. Yes. So this is a really interesting topic for me. And I enjoy talking about that. Uh, So from SEO angle, back in the day, people mostly built niche websites. And that meant ranking your main keywords on your homepage. And for some reason, you know, people still want to do that. And, you know, It just meant it looked dated and ugly. And in time, Google started favoring bigger and uh, more branded websites. So the SEOs figured that out. So they started building, you know, a branded homepage and then uh, trying to rank all these inner pages instead of the homepage. Viewed from a different angle, you can have an authority niche website. So for me, a niche website means that it's a topical niche of a broader category. So you could have, let's say, health niche, or it's not a niche, it's a, it's a broad category, health broad category. Then you could niche down to psychology, then depression, and then postpartum depression. So postpartum depression is like the ultra niche topic that you can talk about. And you can create an authority website that just talks about postpartum depression. So in a way, it's your positioning as the authority in this ultra small topic. And you can, you know, if you're offering a service or consulting, you can charge more, People trust you more. You are the go-to source for that topic. And on the website side, you cover that topic so extensively that people don't really need to go back to Google and search for something else. Your website is the search engine in its own way for this small topic. And as for monetization, authority brands can monetize with affiliate offers if they want, but it shouldn't be the only source of revenue. It can be courses, communities, digital products, e-commerce, and what not? You can do whatever you want once you're an authority. And from the content from the content side, you can also build or produce videos. You can do podcasts like we are doing right now. You can do you know social media, whatever you think is best for your audience, where your audience hangs out. Yeah, I totally agree. Whenever I'm building a new website, I come at it with the perspective of like I want to cover every category within this niched down topic. Um, Most recently, I built a Kubernetes focused website. It's an open source technology. And we covered like all 220 different questions or keywords that people had in the Kubernetes space. But then past that, like there wasn't a whole lot to write about. But we covered like what I think were the core 220 questions, like very completely. So like you said, like someone could get kind of everything they would need from our website without having to go back to Google and ask another question. And so it sounds like you agree that like to be that authority, you need to cover kind of every topic in in the category. And then uh, do you also then need to like layer on like a, a backlink building strategy that's focused on building links from other very related niche down sites or when you're building backlinks, can those backlinks be from like, you know, maybe a less niched down site, but still topically related? Let's say we go back to our 
little example of postpartum depression. If you are such an authority and you have all this content, let's say, or let's say your example, you have 200 articles uh, about that topic. You don't really need that many backlinks uh, to rank. If you're doing podcasts, you'll get backlinks from podcasts. If you're doing YouTube, if you're, you'll get traffic from YouTube, which is another positive signal for Google, you know, diversified traffic. You can also go, you know, and do PR, you can do Harrow, you can get those backlinks. And you only need a small portion of these links to be super closely uh, relevant to you. So you can go and post another depression related websites. So that's related to your uh, niche, but you don't really need to go super niche into like having links from other postpartum depression websites. You could, and it's great if you do, but you don't need a huge percentage of those links to be hyper relevant. You can just get trust and a little bit of relevance uh, through links. And then your authority and topical authority does all the heavy lifting for you. And in that sense, I believe you'd rank pretty easily. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned like views from YouTube having like a positive impact on like search rankings. Um, and we talked to a guest uh, a few weeks ago who's building an allergy focused website. And uh, he said on our podcast that every time they went viral on TikTok, they saw like a huge spike in the performance of like their organic search channel. And that like th those spikes weren't like short lived, they were compounding. And so they saw like a direct correlation between like all of the work they were doing on TikTok and then like the ranking and performance of their content in organic search. Have you seen like similar effects with like your websites where, you know, if you can drive a lot of traffic from a channel that's not organic search, it has like a really then positive impact on the organic search channel? Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, so I have this little mastermind uh, of uh, SEOs that we you know, share tests and whatnot. And uh, they actually ranked websites with just content and YouTube videos. So just the traffic from YouTube was enough of a signal for Google to rank the website uh, on Google search. So they didn't need to build uh, backlinks. They just needed the traffic. And I believe traffic is actually the biggest signal for Google. So if somebody is visiting your site from social media, from YouTube, from TikTok, whatever, and they actually interact and they stay on your site, they don't bounce instantly, that's a positive signal. That's probably even stronger signal than backlinks, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know. Has Google come out and said that like, I, I, don't, I know that Google doesn't come out and say hardly anything, but has Google ever commented on like traffic to your website as being like a ranking factor? To be honest, you know, you have SEOs who go out and read all these, you know, Google patents and uh, announcements and all that. So I don't really do that. Like, I haven't read a single Google patent. You can say I'm not an SEO, but uh, yeah, I just built brands and kind of do best practices, 80-20 of SEO and things work out. Yeah. And we had a recent guest who too said um, that like, if you don't already have like a strong brand and a product that people want, it's going to be much harder for you to then go and build an SEO or an organic search channel. But if you've already got a brand, you've already got like a product that people want, and then you go to layer in an organic search channel alongside of like all of the other work you're doing, it's going to be a lot faster. It's going to take less resources. And so I, I really like your approach to building authority websites and in, in that it sounds like you're you're building really strong brands and communities around the product and the company. And then you're using SEO as a supplement now 
to then go and extract even more traffic and drive even more traffic to that brand. That makes a ton of sense to me. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You can have an e-commerce site that is also an authority site for a, for a certain topic. And it can also be a community. They can have a community or they can have a course. Like it doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be just an e-commerce site. It doesn't have to be just an authority site or a content site, media website. My perfect example is Epic Gardening. You probably saw that website. Like that's exactly how you build an e-commerce brand on the back of the media website. So he had a, a media website. He built a content brand and he can build a community or anything he wants using that traffic right now. As far as like creating content goes here with like the new sites that you're developing or the the current properties that you own, have you found that like AI generated content has been like helpful or is is ranking well? Is, is that something like you're using here in 2023 as part of the different websites you're building? We ran some tests and again in the mastermind people are using that ranking no problem. But to be fair, it could rank temporarily and if you've been around the spun content era uh, like 10 years ago whatever like that ranked well and i used that and ranked so many websites using spun content but at some point it stopped working so with the resources google has why would i think they will not figure out especially the like simple prompts oh write me a 1000 word article on x topic corey corey said uh an interesting thing like he would use a 2000 word prompt that would generate an entire article. And that probably works because nobody will have that article, you know, because it's such a detailed uh, prompt and it uses your data. So if you have your own data and you sprinkle it around the prompt, it should probably have the uniqueness you need to just use it without heavy editing and rank. Well, otherwise you can just use it as an automation and, uh, you know, to make things easier and streamline your writing and uh, just use it as another tool, whatever, you know, and uh, make it faster. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if you're copying and pasting from like a very simple prompt, it might work for a short amount of time. But I, I agree with you that like Google has been very good at identifying low quality content for a long time. And if we go back to like the spun content days, like creating, you know, low quality content at scale is not as new of a thing as a lot of people tend to make it. Um, I think AI has certainly made it easier and it's probably of higher quality than than spun content, but you know, generating large amounts of content with a tool set like AI is not completely a novel concept. Um, and like you said, I think using those prompts in depth and you know, making those pieces original with your own data and making them actually more helpful and accurate than what someone would get from a very simple prompt is probably the way that you win uh, with AI generated content. Imagine you, you yourself, you know, you're building your personal brand and you have your own personal blog. Like, would you use AI content on that and kind of risk your reputation saying something stupid, you know, and having some data that's not accurate, you know, like you probably wouldn't. So that's how I approach, approach all brands. You know, I want them all to have this feeling of, you know, as if it was written by me using my name. Exactly. And completely agree with you. I think like all of the content that we write on our blog at Positional was written by me. And like, I'm very critical of the, the content that we publish. And, you know, I haven't been using AI as like a means to, to writing my content. I've actually found that it takes me longer to actually go and edit a piece of content than it does to just go and to write it myself. And so I would actually probably save time by writing a 2000 word article myself versus using AI to start with, let's say three or 4,000 words and then try to work it 
down to like a finished product. I do think like authors are going to be like more important, especially with like large amounts of new AI generated content coming into the internet. And if, you know, a doctor or a lawyer is using AI to create their content, but still willing to like attach their, you know, name or credentials to that piece, then hopefully they've fact checked it and assured that it's know of good quality i know that like uh ee is is a highly debated topic in the seo communities but uh, from your perspective how important do you think it is to have like actual experts like writing your pieces of content and or putting like a byline of an actual expert on a piece of content that you create i think for highly competitive topics like finance or health or even sleep you need that like that's you know, that's how everything works. Like you need YouTube videos for sleep. Nobody wants to even consider your brand with just written content now. At start, only maybe one or two brands had YouTube videos. Now everybody has it. And maybe one brand in 2020 had experts board. And now everybody needs to have, like all brands need to have an expert board. Otherwise, they just don't look credible enough. And is that something you want to uh, bet? Like if you get penalized or if you get like 50% loss of traffic, like is that the variable you want to have and like go to sleep and say like, man, like did we get penalized because we didn't put an effort to have expert reviews and the bylines and like the about page. I spoke to Corey recently in Istanbul and he thinks that's a very important aspect, like these outer bylines and like how you position that on the site and how prominent that is. Well, I really appreciate you coming on our podcast. Uh, I learned a lot in this episode and it's been great to get your perspective on Sleep Advisor for one, but also kind of the inputs and you know how you thought about building that website and then how you're thinking about building your new properties and uh, building out your portfolio of brands from here. If it's okay with you, I'm going to ask like five or six quick questions as part of a lightning round. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay. The first question I have, it's a slightly personal one. Like when we sold our first company, like at first, like I didn't at all miss it. I was like very burned out. I wanted to move on and do the next thing, but then kind of two or three years later, I kind of missed it. I, I missed that first web property that we built. Now that you've sold Sleep Advisor, do you miss it at all? Do you wish that you still owned it or are you happy that, that you sold it? And that's a really good question. And I had a whole 2022 to think about that. And uh, now that I'm building a holding company, I believe it would be a nice start for that. Like it would be a nice way to add that into the whole portfolio in the portfolio and then grow from there. But at the same time, I wouldn't really pursue this if I stayed on with Sleep Advisor because again, it was so entrenched as a single brand and just tearing it apart and adding it as a portfolio company would mean changing how the team thinks, the company culture. It was a way for me to have a clean start and to start everything from scratch. And in that regard, I don't regret it. I do miss it from kind of becomes your baby after five years. So I do miss it from that perspective. But at the end of the day, you need resets from time, time to time. And this was it for me. I know we talked quite a bit about building backlinks on, on this podcast episode. Do you think that backlinks are more important in 2023 than they were in 2017 or less important? 100% more important. Because the field has been leveled for content uh, using AI tools. So everybody can create AI content, but not everybody can create uh, quality backlinks. Maybe now that you have, you know, people are building hero links with ChatGPT, maybe they'll 
you know, disrupt link building as well. But I think links play as important role, if not more important than before. I'd be curious to get your quick thoughts on Google's new like SGE. Do you think like it's going to become popular? Like are people going to use it when it's fully released? To be honest, Google had many changes uh, over the years and I believe Google, people will use it. Will it get traction? I don't know. Like honestly, I have no idea. And is ChatGPT going to be a thing in two years? I have no idea, you know. And just, I cannot think that far ahead and how fast the technology is progressing. So it's just a matter of, you know, adapting and using what you have on hand. If Google disappears tomorrow, I'll be perfectly content. There'll be something else that comes after it. So yeah, no tears shed for Google if it goes away. I love that. Yeah. And it goes back to your whole, you know, ideology of building brands across many different channels and how that's the more sustainable and and probably durable way to to build an online business. And I know that you're like actively thinking about new companies to add to the holding company or companies to build as part of it. Like, is there a certain industry or product space that like you really wish you had like a business or company in, or you might want to go and build a, a brand around? To be honest, I'm focusing more at the moment, focusing more on uh, entrepreneurship, business, finance, and kind of quote unquote freedom verticals. So whatever kind of enables and uh, progresses that I'm in and I want to build that. I want to invest in that. I want to build that and incubate companies and business and entrepreneurship or uh, just acquire them. Is there a favorite tool or like a tool that you use most often as an SEO? As an SEO, I just use Ahrefs. Yeah, you have these two camps, right? It's Ahrefs or Sam Rush. It's like, it's like football teams, right? My last question is how can our listeners get in touch with you. Um, I mean, we'll obviously include a link to your website and LinkedIn in the show notes. Should our listeners reach out to you via LinkedIn? What's the best way to get in touch with you if, if they'd like? Yeah, like if you, if you need any help uh, with SEO or you just want to say hi, you can contact me at hi at myfirstname.com, so nemanya.com. And uh, yeah, that's just my personal website, my email, and uh, you can contact me on LinkedIn as well. Feel free to DM. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out.